What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. I'm on, too. Okay. Woo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> is this another Hive Jive? Well, of course it is. And we're going to talk fall, honey. No. Not fall, honey. We're going to talk, talk fall bees. We're going to talk about starting your fall prep. So, I mean, the, the summer heat wave is literally just barely oh. ending for us. Oh, hell no, it ain't ending. It's still hotter than hell out there. Yeah, right, but it, there there's a light at the end of that tunnel. And we're going to go through and we're going to talk about prepping for winter, even though that, you know, for some people, like for us, winter is still like months away. But really certain areas it's going to start a little bit earlier than others oh, so yeah, but we're going to go through and and get a a very good idea of why it's important to raise winter bees um what you need to start doing to prep for that and then as the fall season progresses we'll come back in there and we'll update a few things here and there because like the feeding that i'm going to talk about right now is still going to be very similar to the feeding for the spring but then the feeding that we're going to talk about towards mid to late fall mm-hmm. is going to drastically change so We'll go through and we'll have uh, lots of information coming your way over the fall season here, and we'll get you guys all up to speed so you're good to go. But a few little things first that we want to reach out and give some shout outs and uh, give it a little little love back here to some of our listeners, um, actually. Okay, so we want to give a shout out to a couple of different podcasts. Technically, I think one is a podcast and one is a radio show, but because of the one, the other one heard about us, and they both have have actually went in to listen, so I think that's kind of cool. So here locally in Austin, there is a podcast called the 1540 Podcast, and they they love the show, and they want us to, to keep up the great work. I've listened to a couple of the episodes. The episode where he actually goes through and interviews his own daughter is actually very entertaining, and... But he heard about our show on something called 99% Invisible. And so I did a little bit of research on that. And that is actually a radio show. And then it's kind of like yours where it's converted over Uh into a podcast as well. So 99% Invisible apparently gave a shout out to the Hive Jive. And then this gentleman for the 1540 podcast went through and picked that up. And he started listening and he loves it. And so (laughs) we definitely appreciate anytime anybody goes out there and, and shares that kind of experience and shares the love for everything. We also want to give a shout out to Homestead Hens and Honey, and uh, thank you for being an active participant in our online social media stuff and going through and sending things back and forth, and thanks for the shout out out there on some of the different episodes that we've had, like the Might episode, Um, you know, you gave everybody, Mm -hmm. you have your own little thing that you did online talking about doing your treatments, right? and you mentioned that you're going to go through and do a podcast episode about it, but told everybody to come and check out our Mighty Mini Mite episode, Mighty and Mini-Mite. we greatly appreciate that as well. So again, thank you everybody for the love, and thank you everyone who is sending us all kinds of comments and feedbacks online, and we did get a very interesting email, yes. so we're going to give a shout out across the pond here. A, a great little shout out here from across the pond. We had a lisp listener. His name is Jesper, J-E-S-P-E-R, and Jesper hails from Denmark. And he sent us this awesome message going through and saying that he loves the show. He loves listening to you guys. He loves your accent, Ken. <laughs> I got to ask him. Okay. <laughs> we have redheaded mutt bees here. So I say, yeah. Yeah, that's what you call them, redheaded mutts. 
Do they have blonde bees there? In Denmark, blonde bees? Blonde bees? I mean, you know, if they've got that pure strain of Italian, which most of those countries, they really like their European bees and their darker bees, Mm -hmm. so probably not. But if they had that pure strain of Italian, it would be a beautiful golden bee. Oh, you showed me some of those bees. Yeah, they like you find those. That's that's technically that Big Island Queen. That's the Bahama Mamas that you Oh, they are. Wow. Yeah, they're pretty. Yeah, they're pretty. Well, so Jesper sent us a a lovely little message here, and the long and the short of it is that uh, Jesper kind of started off like a lot of us, and he's uh, he's kind of on Ken's track of thinking with yeah. things. He, he you know he was just going to start off, and he was going to have you know a couple of hives, no. and all of a sudden that turned into way more than a couple. So he mm-hmm. he started off with like four. And then he was going to get two more, and then it jumped up to 16, and then it jumped up to 18. And then he got this proposal from somebody that was kind of like Ken and I are going through and we're buying some of these uh, drawn-out comb and frames and stuff Mm -hmm. from this beekeeper that's retiring out, and we're kind of nitpicking through it and finding the stuff that's good. Well, he got an offer like that, but they were for living hives. And it ended up being roughly 250 living hives, living colonies. I don't and, want to get that big that fast. Yeah, and so he's he is seriously considering doing it. At first, he was like, no, 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 it's way too much money, I'm not going to do it. But Jesper is now currently considering this 250 hive proposal, and so he was a little bit curious on what exactly honey would go for, because apparently over there, yeah, their honey market is, is very uh, not... It's diluted. Um, the market itself, not the honey. Let me clarify that. The market. So they have a lot of imports coming in from right. some of the other countries nearby. And because of that, it actually lowers the value of their honey in Denmark. And so he was kind of curious, like, can honey be shipped or exported to other places? And if so, you know, what would the the value and the the, uh, the volumes look like on things like that? So basically, Jesper, um, and this is a, this changes and fluctuates drastically, but but honey can be imported and exported across continents and across countries, with a few exceptions. Countries that have been known to dilute and adulterate their honeys, mm-hmm. those have been blocked for e- mm-hmm. export and import. So we don't get honey from certain places because of those reasons. Now, those places still try to outsmart the system, and they will send it to a nearby country, and then that country will repackage relabel and then send it to us so it can still happen but what we're actually looking at as far as when you do import and export it's a whole nother world and it's a whole nother ball game so when we sell our honey here and we're selling it retail by the pound if it is local raw pure honey it sells for a minimum of ten dollars per pound retail in a jar now when you're going wholesale that that starts changing things drastically. Mm-hmm. So if you're selling the jars prepackaged wholesale, that drops from ten dollars a jar down closer to six dollars a jar for mm-hmm. the wholesale price. And then if you go even bigger than that and you start selling them in say a five gallon bucket, well mm-hmm. actually um, uh, let's see a wholesale version of one gallon, which in our measurements is going to be twelve pounds. That's between forty six and fifty two dollars. Yep, for wholesale on yep. that. That right. And then if you turn around and you do a five gallon bucket, it's about one hundred and sixty two dollars for five gallons, which breaks down actually to to not a lot per pound. But when you do the mass exports of honey, you're actually looking at drums, giant metal drums of honey, and those weigh it's either four hundred and eighty or six hundred and forty pounds. Like it's a lot of weight for those drums. And you start getting into basically pennies on the dollar. 
And that pennies on the dollar is, it's kind of, um, it's, it can be kind of harsh. You can be talking about $2 or less per pound of honey that it's actually being sold for. So the more bulk you sell, the, the smaller that price is, but obviously you're selling more. So you're still getting a big chunk of, of money there. But some of our friends up in Canada, you know, they produce millions of pounds of honey a year and they turn around and they export a lot of that to other places. And it just really depends. You've got to look at what the global market rates are for honey as a commodity and kind of see. So I don't know if it would honestly be be worth it or not. Um, 250 hives, that is going to be a full-time operation for sure. And that would be lots and lots of beekeeping to do. But hey, you know, it, it could completely change your life and change your world. And, and it might be very entertaining for you. There's some of our listeners that are... Um, so a lot of our listeners, like we have a lot of listeners that are over in Iran or Iran, and they actually, there are multiple ones over there that have a thousand hives each. And really? Yeah. And it's this amazing thing because when I see the pictures, the pictures don't necessarily do it justice because they've usually cleared the land so it's bare dirt. And then they have all the hives out there and you'll just see like seas, like thousands of hives and but in the background you don't see a lot of forage right well their seasons are kind of a lot like australia where they have like a wet rainy season and then they Mm -hmm. have a hot dry season and because of it there is a lot of forage and they do make honey but they don't make nearly as much honey as we do which is kind of crazy so it's it's uh it's it, it it all just depends on where you're at and what's going on but either way it doesn't matter where you're at, what country you're in. If you're listening to us here on the Hive Jive, we definitely appreciate it. And Jesper, thank you so much for sending us that email uh, or that that message online. And we definitely we appreciate it. And it was we got a kick out of it. It's always great to hear from other places and hear how things are going. And I hope that uh, your honey market improves for you guys, and you guys have some good profits that come out of it for you um and uh best of luck on the decision on the 250 additional hives because that could be crazy <laughs> i've got a note for you i got something here for you to think about and our listeners to think about honeybees will visit two million flowers to make a pound of honey yeah and the single honeybee in its entire life barely makes like a quarter oh, you, of a you, teaspoon. You're reading over my or count. An eighth you, of a teaspoon. No, a twelfth of a teaspoon. A twelfth of a teaspoon. I'm not, I can't even see your card from here. I know. You got. <laughs> oh, Tara, she's got a Tara, whole. Tara gave you one too. Uh uh-uh, uh no, uh-uh. That's just that's information you oh, learn okay. when you're doing all the studying yeah. and research. A single honeybee will make a twelfth of a teaspoon of honey. In its lifetime. In its entire lifetime. Yeah, so one bee equals a twelfth of a teaspoon of honey. So that's why, Jasper, you want to make sure you keep the queen excluder out of those hives so that queen can go all the way to the top, lay all the way down, and this is what Johns tells me. That's what I say. That's correct. Don't use a queen excluder because the bigger the hive, the bigger the nucleus. Well, no, no, no. The bigger the cell. Nucleus is is The bigger the cell. The bigger the colony, colony. The more, what I wanted yeah, to get the bigger to. the colony, the more bees you have, the more foragers you have. The more honey you're going to make. The more foragers you have, the more honey you can make because the more they can dedicate to pulling in those resources and the quicker they can process those resources. So the only time that I ever use a queen excluder is if I am purposely trying to do cut comb honey. Curse splash. 
<laughs> it's only if I'm trying to do cut comb honey. And the cut comb honey, it, it needs to be pristine, beautiful, fresh white wax. It needs to be fresh wax that was just drawn out that season, and they can never have laid any brood, no eggs ever been laid in there. That is when we use a queen excluder. But if you're just going to do uncapping and extracting, or if you're going to do a crush and strain, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if larva's ever been laid in that or not. So let the queen lay wherever she wants to and let them fill up. And they'll go through and they'll backfill. People get, they get paranoid about the whole, well, but but if she's laying over here in my honey area, then, then how am I ever going to extract? Well, they backfill. If you're in a Langstroth setup, they backfill from the top down. Mm -hmm. If you're in a top bar setup, they backfill from the back, back towards the front. And as they're backfilling in with the nectar, the larva's hatching out. They're starting to do their jobs. Those cells open up. The foragers come in and they deposit new nectar into those newly opened cells. And that's what you call backfilling. And they backfill all the way up through there. And then all that stuff gets processed and it gets turned into honey. So given enough time and the right time of the season, they will turn all of that into honey and you'll still be good to go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've been up since one fifty this morning, <laughs> or one something this morning. I don't know when it was. One thirty, I think. But anyway, uh, it. You know, the more I get into the into the bees and get into uh, raising bees, the more I see. Uh, we've had this. We've talked about this before. The more I look at what's growing in an area, okay, I can use that for bees. I can use that for bees. That'll bees to do that. Bees to do that. And now we're getting into the fall, and all of a sudden, I have started watching the different trees and the different flowers that they're after. But it seems like, to a big a part, a big extent. It's pollen they're after right now. Yes. Well, there's not any nectar out there for them during the summer dearth. The plants, as it gets hotter, the plants start pulling back on their own resources mm -hmm. so that they can actually survive. Mm -hmm. And there's no rain out there. So they've got to, instead of expressing that moisture and expending the moisture in the pollen, or not the pollen, but in the nectar, they actually go through and they pull that back in. And that's one of the things that they, that's just part of the cycle and part of the season. So there are areas, we've had several people online that have reached out and said, hey, you know, I followed your guys' last few episodes. You've been talking a lot about pollen feeding, and you've given a lot of examples. I built a feeder. I put dry pollen substitute in it, and there's it's been a week, and there's no bees coming to my pollen feeder. So my thing there is go out early in the morning. We're talking like after the sun's up, but somewhere between like, say, 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. Go out there and just sit and watch the front of your hives and watch what the bees are bringing in because first thing in the morning when the bees get up and the sun comes mm -hmm. up, they're going to go and they're going to forage for pollen first. They'll still forage for it periodically throughout the day, but that's their main focus first thing in the morning is the pollen. So if you go and you sit by your hive and you watch, you'll see them bringing in pollen on their legs. And if they are bringing in the beautiful multicolored pollen that they can find out there in nature, they don't need the pollen substitute. They're always going to go for the real natural thing, the true source, before they'll go for a substitute. It's the same thing with the sugar syrup. If you're feeding sugar syrup in the spring and your nectar flow starts, the bees will stop paying attention to your sugar syrup because they prefer the real nectar from nature. <laughs> so if you see that they're bringing in pollen early in the morning, that's why they're not visiting your pollen feeders. And that's a good thing. That's why I love the dry pollen feeder is because you're not forcing them to take something that maybe they don't need. You're putting it out there. It's available. If they need it, they'll go get it. If they don't, they'll ignore it. It's great. I was eating a 
fool out of it. <laughs> the fool out of oh, it? Oh, man. I, I fill up a feeder, and before the end of the day, it's gone. Yeah. I yeah, mean, it's unreal how much they're eating. They're going through it like crazy. Um, the little shelf one that I did the video of that we had done the makeshift DYI version out of, that one, we do the kind of the same as your feeder. We put in about three cups, and it's gone in 24 hours. Yeah, that's what um, this is. And that's, that is, there are one, two, three, four, four very small nucleus colonies that are used to raise queens mm -hmm. and allow their, their mating nukes for queens. Mm -hmm. So you're talking maybe a thousand bees per nuke. There's not a lot. They're very tiny. Um, and yet, so 4,000 bees roughly minus i do know that there is somebody in the neighborhood that have a feral colony in their tree in their mm -hmm. backyard mm -hmm. um so we're probably feeding them as well but no, yeah they'll they'll clean out that feeder in a day yeah. easily and the big feeder out at the farm once we get through um i'm going to go out there and we'll we'll check it and i'll check some of our other small feeders in the other locations and stuff today but they uh in two weeks time so the first week they went through about 10 pounds of it We'll see when I go back out there if they've gone further than that. But so far, they've done about half of that 35 pounds or the 25, I guess it was about 25. Um, they've done about half of that out of that big feeder. So, really? yeah, they're doing pretty good. But now when you go back and you start looking at what's going on and, and the bees bringing in nectar or not, you know, we've talked about reading your comb. You've got to be very good about reading your comb and knowing what's going on inside the hive. So if you're looking at a comb... And when you do your inspection last week, that comb was empty and dry, and you do your inspection this week and it's got liquid in it, then if you have not been feeding them, then that's a sign that they are finding food somewhere else. Something. Now, that, that food could be nectar from a plant, mm -hmm. or it could also be sugar syrup from somebody's hunting, hunting bird, hummingbird feeder. Yeah, <laughs> or even, uh, what is it, the aphids will... Oh, honeydew. Yeah, honeydew. Yeah, honeydew. So ants and bees both will basically take advantage of aphids where the aphids excrete what's called honeydew, which mm -hmm. is basically just a sugar water. Yep. And they will go and they will happily lap that up and then they'll take it back. And if there's plentiful amounts of it, they will actually turn it into honeydew honey. Um so then anybody who's grossed out by insect things, there's a double whammy for you because honey is already basically bee vomit. And then you're taking uh, aphid poop and turning it into bee vomit. And then you've got aphid poop, bee vomit, honey. <laughs> I can't even say all that. Aphid poop, bee vomit, honey. Um, <laughs> how does that sound for appetizing? <laughs> Eric says he wants biscuit with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, so yes, they can be finding it from honeydew as well, um, from the aphids. But as we start moving in, so what's going to happen for us here in Central Texas, and every region and every area is going to be a little mm -hmm. bit different, but as September fades away, like at this point, we're already in halfway through September. So as it fades away, you're going to end up having our heat wave breaks. We start having rain come back in, and we are lucky enough in Central Texas that we do get a fall flow. Goldenrod. Yeah, goldenrod is the main producer. That's the big heavy hitter, but you also have a lot of other stuff out there. Oh, snow yeah. in the prairie has already started. We've been getting people sending lots of pictures of snow on the prairie, and snow on the prairie is going to give both nectar and pollen, um, but the nectar from snow on the prairie is bitter. And then the goldenrod nectar is 
more bitter and darker. Mm -hmm. All of your fall flowers have that higher antioxidant and higher mineral content in them. So your honey is going to be way darker. It's going to have a more strong or pungent smell and flavor to it. And it's going to be more akin to kind of like almost a molasses flavor. That's what I need. And that's your, that's your favorite. Yeah, that's what yeah. you love. So those plants are coming up right now. The, the two big ones, again, goldenrod is the biggest one for us out here in Central Texas. The other one is broomweed. And broomweed makes a plethora of yellow flowers on a little yeah. shrubby kind of bush. Yep. Um, but those are the two big ones that are going to be out there. You've also got bitterweed and some other things, too, mm -hmm. that come along. And as those flowers start blooming and we get that rain coming in, you're then going to have this small trickle of nectar that starts coming back in. The whole point right now is to provide enough pollen to make sure they have a pollen source because they need that pollen. That's their protein. Mm -hmm. That's what they go through and use to raise their brood. Mm -hmm. They the, the worker bee ingests the pollen. Mm -hmm. Their body breaks the pollen down, uses the protein from that to then create the brood food and the royal jelly that they excrete from the glands. And then they'll turn around and they'll regurgitate that, the glandular excretion, and they mix it in with bee bread, which is pollen that they have fermented and broken down, which makes the, um, all of the nutrients more, more readily available. Right. And they mix it with that. They'll mix it with a little bit of honey and nectar, and they feed that back to the larva. Without the, the protein, without the pollen, that process can't happen. So even if you've been feeding sugar syrup nonstop, your bees still may not be raising any babies because they have no protein. They have no pollen coming in. So that's that's why we've harped on the last two or three episodes about doing the pollen substitute and feeding them. You got to get them started. So the whole point right now is you get those bees to start going back into brood production and raising babies. And you want to start it as early as you can for the fall because twofold, like you said earlier, the more bees you have in there, the more you're going to be able to have a forage force. Right. But the second half of this is your fall bees, when they start raising bees in the fall, they're what's called fat bees or winter bees. They literally have more fat stores in their body and really? they are visibly bigger because of it. So due to those things, they actually live longer. Now that's way important because those bees are the bees that are going to overwinter your colony. Those are the ones that are yeah. going to be shivering and vibrating to generate all the heat. Mm -hmm. Those are going to be the ones that are going to be taking care of everybody. So it's very important to have very strong, healthy populations of bees. So if you haven't done your mite checks, go ahead and start doing them right now. If you're going to do any type of organic treatments, now's a good time to go through and do it after you've done the mite checks. Um, you want to get these things in the process and in going. There's a thing going on right now actually called the Mitathon. And the Mitathon is it's a way to get everybody in the United States aware of the importance of checking for Varroa mite. And it kind of gives you an incentive to go out and, and do a check and figure out what's up. So what you'll do is you can go to, I believe it's mitecheck.com. And all of the information is on there that you need, but it's put on by the Pollinator Partnership. And they ask all beekeepers in the United States, please go out from this Monday all the way through the 20-somethingth. Um, go out there and check your hives and do a mite check. And then when you go to mitecheck.com, you're going to put in that information and you're going to identify what type of test you did. Did you do a sugar shake or did you do an alcohol wash? And you're going to put in how many colonies you have, how many you tested, and how many mites you had in there. It's an anonymous system. It's not They're not going to whammy you for saying, oh, well, you're, you were over the threshold on mites. But it gives us a representation of what areas are heavily populated mites, how many people are actually treating, how many people are 
are not, how many people are testing, how many people are not. And the more information we have about those things, the better. But by going through and testing for mites now and treating your colonies for mites now, if you can get rid of those mite populations before your bees start raising those winter bees, mm -hmm. you're going to have way healthier winter bees because they're not going to be vectoring. The mites aren't going to be vectoring the viruses to them. So you want strong, healthy winter bees, and you want a lot of them. The first half of those bees, they're going to be foragers. They're going to go out. They're going to forage. And the forage that they do right now is the nectar source that turns into your winter food source. That's the honey they, they go through and they process down and they store for the wintertime. So you got to get them in there and get them good to go. Now, feeding, if you're in an area where there may not be a fall flow, you're going to continue feeding. And you're going to continue the one-to-one -one feeding, one part sugar to one part water. And you're going to do that up in through the middle part of fall. And you kind of have to gauge it on your area. When your temperatures start getting down more consistently to 70 degrees or below, that's when you're going to kind of want to start tapering off a little bit. Um, so a couple of weeks before that happens in your region, switch from the one-to-one -one sugar to the two-part sugar, one-part water. That's when you make it the thicker, stronger solution. It's easier for the bees to go through and dehydrate. There's not as much moisture there, and they can store it quicker. That's kind of your last-ditch effort. So for us in Central Texas, we'll be talking about that a little bit later. We'll talk about it more in, like, October. Um, when you'll do your switch over and you'll actually start feeding that stronger solution. But right now, one-to-one, -one, continue trying to get your colonies to grow, put the pollen substitute out there for them if they may need it. If you're in a northern state and you can do pollen patties because you don't have hive beetles, put the pollen patties in there. Give them every opportunity and every resource that they have to make a strong winter colony because that winter cluster is key. That's crucial. That is what is going to overwinter your bees and what is going to in ensure your success of having a colony still alive that next spring when winter's over. With all of these bees that we have caught over Oh, speaking of, yeah, let's uh let's go back real quick here. Let's get an update on all of on the your situation. All the swarms that uh, the rock hive we hit. We didn't tell them. We, we've named them now. But the rock hive <laughs> was a big swarm. The rock hive was the one that we actually cut out of the tree. Well, yeah. not well. Well, you cut. Yeah. We we it was in the tree yeah. on a limb, and we shook it out of the yep. tree, and then cut the limb off and moved it over there. So that's the one. And we it's got it in a it's frame. called a rock hive mm -hmm. because it is literally setting on a rock. <laughs> and a big rock. Yeah. And that rock gets hot. And those bees are out as soon as it gets daylight. They're working. Mm -hmm. Then we got the trailer hive, which that's happily the, named because it's sitting on a trailer. It's on a trailer, <laughs> and it 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 was something when we were pulled the trailer up. It's the trailer we had went and picked up a bunch of of uh, brood boxes from the the guy that has the the retired beekeeper, and and we've got the uh, the mediums and well, we had one that we had pulled. You know, the tin frame that had passed on us, or either absconded or or they died. We had it sitting there, and it had draw. It had three or four frames of honey in it. And we're sitting there, and we're fixing to go to lunch. We've already got our clothes off, our bee suits off. We're fixing to go to lunch, and my son and John says, "What the hell?" And these big, huge bunch of bees coming at us. And they were coming straight at the trailer. Well, they're gonna rob the trailer. They're gonna go in there and get all of the honey out of the out of the empty frames. We thought. So then we left. We went and ate. Come back, and John we pull around and what the hell? And John says, 
Look at that beard. And there's a beard hanging off the corner of the trailer a couple of feet long. And then we walk up there, and John gets in there and changes that, that ten frame around, and where it's straight, you know, perpendicular with the uh, with the uh, side of the trailer, and those bees just start marching in. I mean, they get ten wide and just straight in the door. Mm-hmm. And dangest thing I ever seen. I'm sitting there. Wow, I wish we'd be videoing this. <laughs> but uh, they went right in there like they were going home. They have been there ever since, and they just as happy as fools. Yeah, and. Now, the Rock Hive has finally said this is home. Uh, We had a hard time getting them in there. Uh, Max, my son, opened up the hive the other day and did some work in it. And he said, John says, okay, be sure to tell Max, make sure he finds the queen, the queen, what do you call it? We put her in a queen cage originally. We caught the queen out of that swarm trapped her into one of the solitary queen cages and i was telling him that whenever you guys go through and and put the final setup together make sure that they had released her from Mm -hmm. that cage if not go ahead and open it up and release her well he found her yeah she was loose and she was on the inner cover she is oh yeah (laughs) she wasn't down where she should have been but she was there she is as fat as a butterball yeah she's she's very healthy yeah max says I saw her when she was little, and now she's as fat as a butterball. So, and but that that hive now is well, we're going to have to put a medium on top of that brood yeah. box. Yeah, that it's one got so many bees in it. Um, all of the colonies actually are going to be relocated um, here very very soon. Monday. So they are the rock hive and the trailer hive both. Those both stayed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you guys heard the the chaos on our WTFBs episode last week no, where we were talking about all the bizarre things that went on. So what is going on now is the the small top bar nuke. It left. They, they did not. The queen in that one was the virgin queen. Mm-hmm. And she apparently was able to finally make it through that queen excluder and get back out of there. And, and they're gone. They didn't really, mm-hmm. they weren't committed to it. They didn't want to really move in nope. and stay. Um, and so they, we did not manage to secure that one, mm-hmm. and that was the smallest one. That was the literally a virgin queen and like yeah. twelve bees, and then a few more showed up a little yeah. bit later. But so they're out of there. But the the big one that we put into the, the the out of the tree and then into the box that is setting on top of the rock, that one seems to be fairly oh, good. Um, we've got a queen excluder on the bottom, so mm-hmm. it's the bottom board, then a queen excluder, mm-hmm. then a uh, eight frame deep inner cover and lid. Mm-hmm. And the only actual opening at the moment is down the bottom on the front. So mm-hmm. all of the bees have to go through the queen excluder to get out and go forage, yep. which means the queen cannot escape. And if she nope. can't get out, then they will not be able to leave. Like, they'll try. And they did for the first few days. They, they did. would They would yeah. come out of there and swarm out, and then they would come back and ball up on the front because yep. the queen couldn't go with them. And that was when she was still in that cage. So, But they're all good to go. They're going to move. And then the trailer hive, man, they called it home that same day. They were already in their garden the oh, front, yeah. calling it good. And they have stayed, and they're doing really well. So both of those colonies are going to move out to the quarantine yard that mm-hmm. we've got set up where we pulled in some of those other colonies that you had been gifted. Right. And we're going to put them out there on the quarantine yard, mainly because the main apiary where Ken's um, permanent hives are set up at the moment 
is only about a quarter to a half a mile away from the house right. and the cabins there. So right. we didn't want the swarms to turn around and then try to go back to where they just were at. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move them a, a couple miles away to where they're out there on this other property in the quarantine area. We'll leave them there until about mid-fall, and then we're going to relocate them all back over to the main yard so that all the hives are right there together for the fall and the winter. Yep. And uh, are swarms that big? Usually they can be. Oh, those those that two. one in the tree that was that, that was, was kind a, of a that was that's a decent sized swarm. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, they absolutely can be. And uh, now we're going to have to put a medium on top of that eight frame brood box because there's just so many bees in there. Yeah, that one's full. That is literally a box yeah. full of bees. And and at night and early in the morning when it's hot, they all move out. A bunch of them move out on the front. And they're out there where it's cooler. Yeah, they're bearding. Yep. Yeah, they go out so they can relieve the congestion from inside the hive and and help it cool off. Yeah, and I mean, it's crazy. Uh, They have robbed out all of the drawed frames. They robbed them out. Now they're not going over there so much. And uh, so they're eating a fool out of pollen. Yeah. That I've been putting out. What is that pink? It's a tree that makes pink flowers in the fall. That they dearly love. You don't know. I don't know. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to text my wife. Do you yeah. know what the tongue oil tree looks like? No. don't know. It makes a tongue. pink and white flower. I don't know. So we had a listener go through on, uh, don't remember if it was if it was on Facebook or if it was on um, Instagram. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so anyhow... They, they posted a picture, and they actually have the tongue oil tree, and it's blooming, or it had blooms on it. Um, I don't know. They sent it to us this fall, so I, I just kind of assumed that it was blooming now, but it may not be. But it was actually really entertaining because they were like, hey, tell Ken, like, this has been out on our property forever, and, you know, this is actually the, the tree that makes the seeds that you get the tongue oil out of. And so if you want to have like your own tongue oil, you can come get the seeds and all that other stuff. And then um, <laughs> I responded and said, please don't give Ken any bright ideas. <laughs> oh, but that his, when we were talking about using tongue oil yeah, on, the, on uh, the hives, yeah. On the bare wood hives. Yeah. But now the funny <laughs> thing, though, is when you go and you look at this post and you look at what they were saying, um, it kind of cracked me up because all of his tags underneath there were don't plant this <laughs> like hashtag don't plant this um dang it where is that at but we have one tree up there at, uh, at the house now we have several of them it's a, it's just a normal tree in fact i think it's pretty much a a native tree and i oh, don't think wait bees... you're talking about the one literally right at your house yeah oh um that's a crepe myrtle crepe myrtle that's it crepe myrtle uh i don't think they're getting any nectar out of them they get they get pollen. They get a lot of pollen. Um, they get pollen, and then they do. I think they do get nectar out of them, but they do get pollen out of them. But it is the the crepe myrtle. It's kind of like a dandelion. I mean, that's going to sound really bad because you're the dandelions are plentiful in late winter, early mm-hmm. spring when nothing else is blooming. But their actual pollen is subpar when it comes to the n- nutrient density of it. I know now, it's the, all the everyone. We got five of them around the house, and they are full of bees yeah. every morning. And your your crepe myrtles. When I was out there with you guys, they mm-hmm. were they were just covered in bees. All I, I've actually got some video that I can post to show that. But the crepe myrtle has kind of been engineered and designed now to be extremely showy to make tons oh, of yeah. flowers constantly. 
To do that, the plant has to use a lot of resources to create a lot of flowers, which means each flower has minuscule amounts of nectar and pollen because it's using all of its resources to make lots of flowers. That then also means that the quality of that can be a little bit lesser than some other things. But when you're in a dearth, mm-hmm. anything is better Anything's than nothing. Anything's good, better than That's nothing. That's right. And there's nothing else out there going right now, so they absolutely are going to flock to any type of natural pollen that they can find. Now we have a white lily. It's a, it's in the water, and I don't know the name of it. Max can tell me. Uh, that is a nectar producer. It lives in the water, and they're going after them. Mm-hmm. They're just now starting to bloom again. They bloomed all spring, and then they quit in the summer, and now they're starting to bloom. You see one or two out there, and the bees, every one of them, they, they're sitting there, got numbers, getting to get inside <laughs> of it. Take a number, get in line. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, then also the pigweed. We still got lots of pigweed up, and they're going after the pollen on that. Uh, we have some other flowers, uh, semi-weed. They're not messing with it. Uh, there's some other plants that have washed in from west on you know on the lake, other uh, trees, other other plants that are flowering now. They don't mess with a lot, most of them. Yeah. Uh, we have one called monk, monk tree, uh, vitex. Oh, yeah, yeah. Vitex, they they, so they will they will actually go to Vitex. They will um, go to Vitex, but they don't they don't they're not like the the uh, crepe myrtle. They don't no not well, but the Vitex is going to be giving them nectar actually. Really? Yeah. Now your your Vitex they will go to the Vitex. Um, the Vitex is also called the Texas lilac, which is a huge That's misrepresentation yep. because the actual lilac bushes, which we don't have down here, they just don't make it. Mm-hmm. Lilacs are are uh, they're beautiful and mm-hmm. they smell so beautiful. No, not um, Vitex. The Vitex is kind of eh. Like you yeah. have to get really get your nose up in it. Um, but you will see a lot of the native bees that will go to the Vitex and they're getting pollen and nectar from that. Um, Vitex is actually related to your white bush, your your um, bee brush, bee brush, the the white bush. Let me tell you a little secret about Vitex. Vitex, now when I call it a monk bush, people in Europe knows what I'm talking about. The monks, when they have new monks coming into the church, they go out and cut the cut the, the, the leaves and lay them on the ground where they're walking into the church. They make them go barefoot. And walk over these leaves. They're like saltpeter. Really? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> just that's just a. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's what it's called. the The monks used it to walk across. To yeah, interesting. And Things you learn. There, uh, do I really want to eat the nectar out of? <laughs> I guess so. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, the nectar itself, I don't think has that think quality so. to it, but. But it um, almost looks like pot. The leaves, the leaves kind of do, yeah. Yeah, yeah yep. the leaves kind of do for yep. sure. But uh, we have a lot of it up around Well, that's what they, that's what they were in, that big swarm. Oh, yeah. They were in oh, the that Vitex. Was, that's right. It was in a, it yeah. was in a Vitex. Yeah. yeah, that was what they were on, and we that get, was one yeah. of the limbs we cut yep. down. It had the flowers and all, and we yep. were like, got to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, we watched that, high, that swarm. They were in another tree, and they moved – over to another tree. and But they didn't move 20 feet. Then there was another swarm there. 
And what did we do with that swarm? Did we mix them all together? I don't remember. Oh, when it first started off, you had the little bitty swarm. Yeah. And you caught it, and you put it in the box, and then it turned into a massive clump on the outside yeah. that, like, and another swarm tried to join it. Yeah. And then they all left and disappeared. Yeah, and then they did. And yeah, then they then yeah. they showed up inside the, the vitex tree, and they kept kind of jumping back and mm-hmm. forth between two trees. But that vitex was right over the edge of that stupid green pond. Yeah. So it was it was perfect for the bees, very inconvenient for us. Yeah. Uh, but we still got them out of there. Yeah, got them out and got them in a – and they're home now. They're they're home. They're in a eight frame that we're going to put a medium on here uh, Monday, and they will be a whole lot happier. They'll have a lot more room. Yeah. And then next spring, they will go to making honey. That's right. Yeah. Oh, well, fingers crossed, everybody makes it through the winter. Yeah. You do. Uh, you follow the rules on your, your winter feeding, and we make sure the bees do really well and get nice, strong, healthy colonies with plenty of food to make it through the winter. And you know, that's something spring, we need good. to talk about in winter feeding when we talk in winter feeding. Uh, I know you're, you are you like different different feeders for the top, for the half feeders. How to feed them? Like yeah. to the dispenser Would for the sugar syrup? Would you use the front feeder into the... That did you cut and you put in the front through the uh, entrance board? You can. Or would you use a brushy? Oh, like the brushy mountain yeah. top feeders? Mm-hmm. Um, you can do either one, really. So the the entrance feeder, the only thing with the entrance feeder is that like you can use it in the spring with no problems. You can use it during the fall flow with no problems. But if you use it during a dearth mm-hmm. and you do not use it correctly, mm-hmm. that's how and why you can incite robbing. The other thing is the types of those feeders. A lot of them, you really want the bottom to be solid all the way into the hive. Mm-hmm. And there's some of them that the bottom is not yeah, solid. Like it actually, yeah. actually has a piece missing. And if that is not flush with the bottom of the hive, that mm-hmm. allows an opening where other things can get in there. So that that then incites robbing. Um, if you do not have the feeder up flush, so you want to put it on your bottom board and put it completely to the far right or far left. It mm-hmm. needs to be butted up flush against the edge of the bottom board so that nothing can squeeze between Mm -hmm. it. And then you want to take your entrance reducer and you want to have the solid side of that, which Mm -hmm. you have to cut a special entrance reducer when you're using these. Right. You cut that board and you have the solid side flush against the feeder Mm -hmm. and your entrance is only about an inch or two long and it's on the complete opposite side from the feeder Mm -hmm. so that the only way to get to the feeder is inside the hive. Right. Now, when you're changing the feeder, if you spill sugar syrup on the outside of the hive, you're going to incite robbing. So there's all these problems that can be done if you do not use the entrance feeder correctly. I use them. I don't have a problem with them, but you have to be very meticulous and careful about how you do it. If you feed inside the hive, it's not as big of a deal. If you open your hive up and you're inverting sugar in there and you spill some of the sugar, it falls into the hive, the bees clean it up immediately. Right. There's nothing on the outside right. to attract or draw. So you can definitely go through and do that. Um, you can use a jar and do a top feeder with a jar. You set the jar over the top of the inner cover, mm-hmm. the slit that's in the inner cover. They do make inner covers that have a round opening that is right. actually made for the mason jar lid, the standard size lid to fit down really? inside of as well. And so you can do that either way, and you can put it down in there, and then you just set an imp, uh, like a medium empty box right. over the top of it with your inner cover. So you'll have your hive, you got your bees, you put your inner cover, then you invert the jar over the top of the hole in the mm-hmm. inner cover, then you put the empty box, and then you put your lid. That's how that setup would kind of go. I saw one, uh, of course, I'm going to get chewed out. I saw a YouTube video. This guy, he takes... Uh, 
oh, they're probably three-eighths to quarter-inch slats of wood. He'll lay them at an angle across the entrance of the... Uh, that hole in the inner, inner cover. Yeah, inner cover of the hole through there. Then he sets different jars, like a pickle jar, like a half-gallon pickle jar, the big pickle jars, but he punches holes in them, mm -hmm. sets them upside down. Bees can come up through the hole through the inner cover and then go and get their yeah. sugar That's and the then same go back concept. inside. He's just doing multiple jars at once instead right. of, because only one jar will fit over the inner cover entrance. Right. So he's raising it up a little bit so they can get under him and then mm -hmm. drink out of multiple jars. And that's fine too. Um, when, and we'll talk about this when it gets closer to like the actual fall and the fall feeding, but there comes a time where you will stop and you'll switch. And one of the things in beekeeping that, catches people up a lot is the concept of, well, if this is good, then more is better. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case. So you don't want to overfeed them now. If you do and you feed them too much, if you go out there and go gangbusters and like or a gallon of sugar syrup in your top feeder have at it, what they're going to do is they're going to take all that and they're going to fill all of the available empty comb cells with sugar syrup. Mm -hmm. Your queen then has nowhere to lay and your colony will not grow. If your colony can't grow, you don't get the strong, healthy bees. So it's imperative not to overdo it. They only need a maximum of two quarts a week. Mm -hmm. One quart a week is sufficient if they're not going through and burning through all that stuff. So it's not a problem to feed them just one quart a week. It's okay to feed them one quart on Saturday and another quart on Wednesday, mm -hmm. but they don't need a gallon every single week because, right. yes, they will take it, but they're going to fill all those cells up right now. And we don't want them to be storing food right now. We want them to be raising bees. And to raise bees, will, you need the open space. Will the queen go to laying eggs now? If she has dirt. pollen and nectar, absolutely. So if we're feeding sugar water and we're feeding um, ultra-dry. Ultra, <laughs> ultra, 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 ultra bee dry pollen. Yeah. Yeah. And so she has pollen and she has nectar. Yep. She will go to laying. Yep. Because there is a constant, reliable food source out there for them. Mm -hmm. They will start brood production. And that's the whole point of this is we want to start it early in the fall so we can have all those bees and they can be nice and healthy. So as we get into the blooming of the fall the golden rod, uh, et cetera, mm -hmm. then we can back off a little bit until we go into winter. Correct. And then we go to feeding again. Correct. So okay. what I what okay. I do on that regard is I try to stimulate and get that brood production going right now and get a big, strong, healthy colony going. And then when our, if you are in an area like us in Central Texas where you do have that fall flow, when the fall flow starts and the goldenrod's blooming mm -hmm. and you've got all the, the broomweed blooming and everything's like all in flower, mm -hmm. well, then I start cutting back and I allow the bees to gather those natural resources and bring them in. But you still check your hives and you still monitor and you still watch. And you're going to start looking. You need a one-to-one -one ratio for, for winter. Mm -hmm. You need one frame of solid bees that have one frame of solid capped food stores mm -hmm. to make it through the winter. So that's one box of bees to one box of food. And if I'm in, say, like last year, we had a ton of rain. Mm -hmm. And it rained so frequently and so often, we didn't get a lot of that fall food to come in. So if you fall into a situation like that, that's where you're going through and you're, you're monitoring what's happening with the bees. And you see that 
they're bringing in tons of stuff. They don't necessarily need any help. Just keep an eye on it. But if they're not bringing in a ton of stuff because the rain's messing it up and things aren't going well, then you have to intervene and step in because you're coming up on a definitive stop where if they don't have the food mm -hmm. at that point, there's nothing else they can do. Mm -hmm. So, and that'll be things again. We'll talk about that in October. We'll, we'll get way in depth <laughs> on how to do your transition over into this other fall feeding and the, the final preps for winter. So right okay. now we're, we're early preps for fall. We're getting ready for winter right now. And then we'll go through and we'll talk about those final winter preps for different places, depending on where so you're at. So getting ready for winter is mean go buy another 20 supers, right? No. Oh. <laughs> Unless you're Ken. Ken. Ken's man. You know, ladies, uh, you guys get a bad rap for loving to shop. And it's it's really, it's not necessarily true because you guys, there's it's just the difference of what you shop for. The guys, yes. you know, they're always looking for toys and fun things. And if you're Ken, you know, it was uh, it was traps, and then it's fishing oh, yeah, things, and, traps, and now it's now it's bees, and and now yeah. it's beehive equipment, and he is constantly online searching and looking and, and, and hunting uh, for things. And I'm getting where I'm I'm watching. I really like the bare wood. I may wind up on a bear with bare wood hives. I really like bare wood. Talking about those cypress hives, yeah, the cypress or the cedar, yeah. So yeah, you never know. But, you know, what's crazy is how many people listen to us. The guy in Denmark listening to us. Yeah. And he says, I have an accent. Well, I mean, you do. Jasper, I bet <laughs> you've got a hell of an accent. <laughs> By the way, do you have to keep your finger? No, that's in Holland. Oh, Lord. In the dike. I don't even know. I don't even know where that's going. I know that was going to be bad. As soon as you said, oh, by the way, my God, my brain was like, oh, God. What's he going to say? <laughs> but... Uh, let us know if they all have blonde-headed bees. I'm pretty sure they don't. I'm sure they don't either, but uh, we got red-headed mutts. So. We do. Um, here, here's a fun little thing to close out on. I just had a listener send in a little bee pun joke. Um, where do bees stay when they go on vacation? In a tree? <laughs> no. <laughs> they stay at an air B and b <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I'll go for that. <laughs> oh, well, well, that, well on that note, we'll call that good. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> so. No so's. No? No so's. We just say bye? Yeah, we just say bye. Y'all be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, tune in next Monday. And until then, be safe. Be good. Behave. We'll see y'all later. Bye. Bye. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret, the Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening, and be safe out there.